2: streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Welcome to Kidney Talk. We have a repeat guest today. Inspector Philip Tussaud is a board-certified nephrologist and he's received numerous awards. Now tell me about these awards. Your mother well, didn't give them to you,
1: did no. she? <laughs> we've been blessed to receive the Spirit of Nephrology Award. That was in 2008. And then I recently won a Kaiser Award called the David Lawrence Community Service Award for the work we've done with the community in trying to help patients on dialysis. And you're so modest.
2: You're very modest. I mean, you didn't say, talk about the Golden Globe you got, too. But you know you are the director of Virginia's Medical Care Dialysis Unit in Lancaster, California, and I love Lancaster. Do you
0: love Lancaster? You know when I drive up towards Lancaster and there's a certain time of year that if you look on the side of the road, there's all kinds of
2: poppies, right? Well, there's a whole it's lot. It's a of
0: whole park. it's beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous.
2: Yeah, and oh, you know I own a ranch yellow. up there, and and that's what when I went to look around, the whole hill was full of yellow and purple. It's it's incredible. Do you have a poppy yeah. ranch. No, it's not a public <laughs> brand. It's uh, it's uh, he's in another
0: business exactly.
2: <laughs> we 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 raise uh, other things there. Um, we antelope. Raise, an, antelope. 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 They're very you should rare. Have an antelope. And they're very rare. Ranch. We they're rare because I have them all, but we're going to talk. You wrote a book. I can't believe it. I've written four books. Four books. And why why did you write uh, four books? One wasn't enough, huh?
1: Well, the first one uh, was about my patients because uh, my patients would come see me for a mm-hmm. consultation and they would say no one ever told me I had kidney disease. So we wrote a book called Who Stole My Kidneys? Who Stole My Kidneys? Right. And it's a story of four patients who've had a different uh, value system and their approach to dealing with their kidney disease.
2: Oh, I love oh, that. Wow, that's interesting. Is that Who published that? And is that available? Author House,
1: that's available. and. I'd be happy to send it to Lori for
2: Okay, that's great. So we'll post it, it on with the, the show. Website. Yeah, that's great. All the
1: books are, are free. They're on our website for free, and if people want them, we give them away for free. So free, free,
2: wow,
0: a no charge, no charge, no charge. Because Is that when you than use free? the word free, it's like it, people think it didn't cost anything, and it did cost something. It does something. cost, as you know. It costs to. Cost do these things to cost, it so. costs. So it's a no charge. No charge. So you wrote a book called. Uh, how do I survive on hemodialysis? And I think that this is a very important topic because there's so many things you have to remember and you laid it out in different chapters. So chapter one says, you know, adjust to all the medication with kidney disease. Um, tell, Tell us what you mean by that.
1: Well, that's very important now since, as the two of you know, many dialysis patients are on many medications, and they rely on the prescribing doctor to adjust the dose for their renal failure, and that doesn't always happen because you see a lot of doctors who may or may not be a nephrologist or may Mm -hmm. understand the degree of your kidney function, and a lot of the medications we take from blood pressure medication antibiotics need to be adjusted for the level of your kidney function
0: well and that has happened to me too I went to a doctor and they um, and actually a cardiologist and they've given me a medication but it could make my creatinine go higher and right. it's, a, it's a heart medication and so I always try to check with my nephrologist before I start any medication because you, you think all doctors know about medications but kidney doctors are the smartest <laughs>
1: Uh, I agree.
2: Now, you know, I, I, I was told different things. What is the average lifespan of somebody on dialysis? And I heard it's pretty low.
1: Yeah, the average lifespan, the mortality rate on some studies, it can be between 15 and 20% per year, although in the United States, I think we're edging towards the 15%. And then um, at five years on being dialysis, it's down to 50, 60% survival, and at 10 years, about 10% survival. Unless you get a kidney transplant, then then you start to approach 98%, 95% survival in the first year. Yeah, because
2: I know somebody came up to me and they said, oh, you're on dialysis. And they said, yeah. They said, so that means you only have seven years to live, right? How sad. Uh, I know. What an
1: idiot person. Well, and I think,
0: too, when they talk about that, half of the population are over 65. So some of it's due to just the aging process. That's
1: correct. And I have one patient who went on dialysis at 19. And he's uh, 52 now, so he's been on dialysis for 33 years. Wow. Wow.
0: And I, he's obviously read this book because... Um,
1: <laughs> he's mastered it.
0: <laughs> because the second um, you know, point that you make is avoid inadequate dialysis treatments. Can you tell the audience what you mean by that?
1: Yeah, we wrote this chapter because when we're on our rounds in the dialysis unit, everybody wants to know, can I reduce my time? and they want to know why they have to stay there for the, the four hours. So we try to put everybody on at least four hours. Some people require more to get adequate dialysis. And what we mean by that is uh, there's a measurement that we do on dialysis called your urea reduction mm-hmm. ratio. We've talked about the K- BUN and, or the blood urea nitrogen, which is one of the levels we test in the blood for kidney function.
0: They also have KT over V as another measurement they look at, right?
1: Right, so we look at KT over V, which is a more fancier uh, calculation. URR is, I think, easier for the person who's on dialysis to understand. So okay. the idea is that basically when you're on dialysis, that we, we test your blood before we start, and we test it at the end, and we see how what percent of the toxins are removed during dialysis. And we look for about a 70% reduction during the dialysis. So and if you're not meeting that 70%, then your mortality rate starts to go up for the time that you're on dialysis.
2: Now, I know in other countries they do uh, dialysis longer, like in France, I know they do it overnight. Uh, And they bring meals and everything too. So uh, do
1: you you like that idea of doing it overnight? Well, you know, your kidneys work 24 seven. Right. And if you're on dialysis, you're only getting about 12 hours of dialysis per week. And it's episodic treatment. So I think it's more natural for the body to have daily dialysis or continuing dialysis like you do for peritoneal dialysis. Right. So you you recommend something
2: like a a Next Stage machine, home dialysis? Next
1: Stage is a a new alternative for home hemodialysis where we can do dialysis daily for a couple hours. And I think that's easier because it gets rid of the toxins as they're accumulating and helps you to manage fluid on a daily basis as opposed to waiting... 48 hours to have your fluid removed uh, from your body.
0: And that's the next chapter in the book is avoid excessive weight gain. And this is the most difficult part of being on dialysis. And that's why I liked peritoneal better than hemo personally, because I didn't have to worry so much about fluid. And it's so hard to say. I think I was on 1,200 cc's a day. It's just... Yeah, but I that's, mean, that's the awful. difference also
2: with next stage, too. I didn't have to worry. When I was on next stage, I didn't have to worry about my fluids either.
0: It, when you're on home dialysis, because it's a more of the treatment. Yeah, but they t- it, t-
2: it gets taken off every day. It
0: gets taken off right. every day. Right, And But one of the things that you know you have to do to control your, your weight is you have to control your sodium. You can't control your uh, fluid intake unless you control your sodium. And I remember Dr. Scribner told me that. He's like, you know, people are chasing. They're trying to tell people to control their fluid. They can't control their fluid unless they control their sodium. And it's hard (laughs) because you're so thirsty when you eat sodium.
1: Right. Because the water goes where the sodium goes. Right. So the more sodium you eat, the more water you drink. And And it's
0: impossible not to drink when you've eaten sodium. And that's what I was told. It's really important. That's one of the ways you can control your weight gains. If you're not on daily dialysis, which, you know, I think it's 90% of the country is on in-center so um they're having problems with weight gains well, people, that's correct.
2: people crave sodium just like they crave everything else i mean i know i sometimes i crave to have that salt I, that's why i wanted to ruin next day so i could have a more could, lenient diet
0: more lenient well yeah. i heard that it takes 21 days to um lose the taste for sodium and if you absolutely if you actually can control your sodium for 21 days you you don't want it as much. I
2: don't believe that.
0: I I've heard it. I think it works too because you, heard you know that when I Dr. was sick, Phil? when maybe when I was sick and I didn't eat for a while, when you know anything I would pick, I'm like, man, that's salty. You know your taste buds change so dramatically. So that gives you a little hope if you're trying to get in tr- control of your sodium. I know if I put a, so many days to try to get it under control, that it may not be as tough in the future.
1: And try to substitute the sodium with other products like Mrs. Dash that right. at least will give you flavor with your right. food yeah. right, without peppercinis, the salt. Peppercinis.
0: Peppercinis.
1: <laughs> yeah, pepperoncinis, <laughs> pepperoncinis.
0: They're, they're good. The, the next topic is um, uh, albumin, and we had a whole discussion about that on one of our other shows that where you were our guest, but protein. And do you want to just recap a little bit about protein because that's Stephen's favorite topic?
1: Yeah, so protein's very important because uh, the protein in our body helps us to build a strong immune system, especially now during the flu season, to help us in fight infections as they come. So we want to monitor our protein, our albumin levels every month when we get them from our dietitian, and make sure we're meeting our goals, and if not, to ask our dietitian for advice on what foods can I take to increase the protein levels in my body.
0: And what's a normal albumin?
1: Norman albumin, our target now is 4.0 grams per deciliter. So most patients are usually under that, but there there is evidence that people who pay attention and increase the protein or diet can raise it above 4.0.
0: And how much protein a day are you supposed to have?
1: Our general advice is about one gram per kilogram. That's the easiest way to remember it. If you're on dialysis, we do your your pre-weight and your dry weight in kilograms. Um, If you can't remember the kilograms, it's... uh, 2.2, Two point two. Take pounds. your weight in pounds, divide yeah. by two point two. Right. So that's sometimes hard to do that calculation. But no, for
2: every one pound, for every one kilogram, it's two point two pounds.
1: Correct.
0: You know, one of the things that, and it's it's not about being on dialysis, but and maybe you could answer this about protein, is before you're on dialysis and after you're um, had a transplant, is it supposed to change the protein intake?
1: Well, I guess it depends on how active you are, but uh, there's a always a discussion on dialysis about you could eat too much protein because the protein has byproducts which can cause uremia or mm-hmm. increase your blood urea nitrogen. So when you have a kidney transplant, if it's working normally, then you come to a normal state where you can metabolize the protein intake and you probably need a little bit more protein than you did on dialysis. So I think that would be a correct assumption.
0: And then what about pre-dialysis? If your, if your kidney's kind of you know, uh, starting to putter out. Let's say, is it better to just limit your protein, or is it you don't want to become malnourished either?
1: Right, because one of the indications to start dialysis is malnutrition. If you get to the point where you're not eating, you're nauseous all the time, you're losing weight, that's a time when we will start someone on dialysis, even if their uh, creatinine clearance or their GFR or the percent of the kidney function isn't at the point we normally would start. So you're right. Now the argument is is in early um, renal failure, the amount of protein you eat could create urea, which could give you more symptoms or raise your blood urea nitrogen. I think the studies are are pretty good now showing that there wasn't any benefit in being on a low-protein diet. And then we're very concerned that if you're on a low-protein diet when you start dialysis, that you're not malnourished, which sets you up for infections and complications the first year of dialysis.
0: So you really just have to have a normal albumin level. That's the goal.
1: I think that's the the goal, (laughs) right. And to watch your BUN that it's not increasing too much, which means you may be eating more protein than your body needs. Then
0: you are eating a whole massive steak every night is not a good idea. Right. So the
1: key of this chapter was just to understand that albumin levels are Mm -hmm. important and to try to keep them as close to 4.0 and normal as possible. As possible.
2: And how often do you think uh, a patient should get their lab works done?
1: Well, I think it depends on their stage of kidney disease. If you're on dialysis, you know, we do them monthly. Right. Sometimes more frequently if we're monitoring hemoglobin or blood counts for anemia. Mm-hmm. I think in, in CKD stage 4 and 5, which are if your kidney function is below 30%, mm-hmm. we recommend that they be at least monitored four times a year. As you get closer to needing dialysis, you may need them monthly. What's the last um, to, stage other than uh, What's the stage before end stage? Well, CKD 4 and 5 are the pre-dialysis stages so we think of it as percent kidney function I see so dialysis uh, would be uh, we would start dialysis on a diabetic patient when they got to below 15 percent which would be stage five so give me an
2: example of what's your creatinine level at
1: 15 percent probably closer to four and five four and five right okay so if you're between three and four, then you're in stage four, going into stage five. Right? We, we, we've had we've
2: interviewed patients who said they didn't feel well and they went to see their doctor and they had a creatinine of 17. How, how do they walk? How do they stand?
1: Well, I, I think they walk and stand because it's happened gradually over a long period of time.
2: And they, they, they learn how to
1: adapt were, to it, huh? They learned they adapted. So wow. certainly if you went from one to 17, you'd be extremely sick. But yes. if it happened over a long period of time and you adjusted your diet and your fluids and... Uh, kept them under control. You theoretically could get to a creatinine of seventeen. Yeah, because I know
2: I really didn't start getting
1: really sick until I was
2: like s- between seven and eight. Right, and then the
1: creatinine I, I, can be I, higher in like African Americans because they have more muscle mass.
2: This person was African American mm-hmm. that said they
1: were seventeen.
2: Well, as I recall, well, so it they can
1: tolerate someone who uh, was cause. Caucasian. Probably couldn't tolerate a carotidine that high and would need dialysis. Well, of course, Caucasians are wimps. <laughs> so, they just have a lower muscle mass structure.
0: So the next on the list is anemia. And I know that I've suffered from anemia, and it's just awful because it's... No,
2: you suffer from amnesia.
0: <laughs> that too. Oh. But it's helpful because sometimes it makes me forget you.
1: <laughs> um, well, thank you.
0: <laughs> but... You know, anemia is. Uh, there's been a lot of um, discussion on this topic lately in the dialysis industry, and uh, I guess the latest now is you need to keep a hemoglobin between 10 and 12.
1: That's right. There's been a. It's a very hot topic now. There's been black box warnings on the medication we use to treat anemia called uh, erythropoietin, which is a hormone made by our kidneys. Yes. And when our kidneys start to fail, we don't make as much as the hormone. So we used to thought that kind of more was better but we're learning that more may not be better as um, the hemoglobin level goes up for patients who have coronary artery disease a higher level may increase their risk of having a heart attack by just Basically clogging their blood vessels. So
0: well, I used to get blood transfusions before the EPO. 150 units of blood, I think, I got before EPO. And once that that was available to be uh, to treat, I was thrilled because all you do is get an injection, and you don't need blood transfusions. But it's it doesn't work immediately. It takes a while, and um, you need to have proper iron levels. And
1: right. So as we take we take the erythropoietin. We get it as a shot, either intravenously or subcutaneously, and it builds red blood cells, which uses up the iron. Mm-hmm. So we monitor our iron, too, and we replace the iron when it's low, intravenously, while you're on dialysis.
0: Do you remember what it was like to feel
2: anemic?
1: I, you know, I don't know if I was anemic. I
2: just uh, You feel, don't you know, remember? You had amnesia.
1: You're the one I that had amnesia. amnesia. I but had you know, anemia.
2: I, I feel tired all the time, you know, and, and my numbers are great, but I, I just I, maybe I'm just old. That could be old. it.
0: That could be it. But, but I you know I, I don't feel sleep when I'm a lot anemic either. you feel just kind of like you're just kind of washed out and you you just don't have the the, the oomph to get up and do things. It's just this gradual like Well diabetics it's, have it's that like that a, a flu. Lot anyway. It's like a low level flu. And I can instantly tell the difference when I feel anemic. It's just it's it's and then you get short of breath. I notice that's the other thing. I get short of breath because, you know, uh, anemia is basically your red blood cells, and your red blood cells carry the oxygen around. So it all makes right. sense. It makes sense. And uh, when you get anemic, it's uh, it's not fun. So you have to watch that and make sure you're getting um, all showing up for treatment, so you can get all of your injections, or you're giving them to yourself if you're at home.
1: That's right. I think the the, the purpose of writing the book was to explain these different components, and so that uh, patients on dialysis understand what their measurable outcomes are, so they can compare what normal is and where they're at and and keep uh, self-monitoring on them, whether they're keeping up with their goals.
2: No, it's so important. Um- now, can somebody take over-the-counter iron pills? Do, I understand that they don't get absorbed very well. Is that true?
1: But you can take them over-the-counter. I, I think some of the problems in people who are on dialysis is they have a lot of trouble with constipation. And the iron pills can cause constipation, so I didn't know yeah. that. And it can yeah. turn your stool dark colors too. So
0: it's yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> really?
1: Yeah, it's I know. Not like uh, uh,
2: painkillers
1: give you constipation. Painkillers <laughs> okay. and some of our phosphate binders give you really? constipation.
2: Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. So we encourage
1: people who can take uh, the oral irons to take them, but. Most of them will say, it's I'm having some GI upset, I'm getting constipation. Oh. And uh, we offer them on dialysis intravenous iron that they can get with their treatment when they get their erythropoietin.
0: So the next topic is bone disease, and how do you avoid bone disease?
1: <laughs> well, I, I think there's two common components to that, and maybe too much to go into discussion with our bone metabolism. But the, the basic issue is this, is our kidneys get rid of phosphorus. And when our kidneys aren't functioning 100%, the phosphorus builds up. As it builds up, it binds to your calcium level and precipitates out. And that can cause uh, hard rock heart syndrome or the calcification all over your body. Is that what makes
2: you itch on your stomach? That's
1: right. When your phosphorus is high, you'll get micro calcifications in your skin and it'll cause itching and what we call pruritus.
2: Oh, my gosh. I was going crazy with that.
1: And just, oftentimes, their eyes turn red.
0: Yeah, Your you can start to see red? it. Well, yeah, I've seen it in, um, you know, every year we throw a prompt for the teenagers with kidney disease. Right. And, you know, when they show up, you some kind can tell which patients aren't taking their that's phosphate right, exactly. binders because they have or red not eyes they because have red their eyes. eyes are just a little red with a little yellow tinge and that's you can see it. it
2: they were like smoking grass. no
0: you can see it it's so evident and, really? and it's sad is when you start to see it in your eyes it's kind of too you know it's your already phosphorus built up right yeah yeah i've seen it and i'm like you it, there's just a look and um it, it's it's unfortunate but you can identify it and you i feel so bad because i know that they're going to have so many problems when they get older if they don't take care of this because this is something that'll get you later on but you can't really reverse it
1: right and the the, the new concern though is it increases your risk for fractures right because it weakens your bone you get what we call renal osteodystrophy or mm. renal weak bones and they're more susceptible to fractures like osteoporosis.
0: Right. And, um, and then the importance of just exercising and keeping yourself strong really helps.
1: You know,
2: there's that vicious cycle because, you know, on dialysis and everything, you're, you're kind of, you feel weak and then you say, well, you got to exercise and it's like a vicious cycle.
1: An interesting thing talking about weakness and being wiped out after dialysis is this issue of weight gain and fluid gain as we kind of missed it when we talked about earlier. But uh, a lot of the patients, they gain a lot of water during dialysis. We try to take it all off in four oh, hours, yeah. and they're just and s- wiped out.
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: And if you're on Nick stage, it's a little bit better because you're taking right. off your daily need. But, but, um, each th- day. We, we see with patients who have this increased weight gain between dialysis. They get washed out. Then they're really, really thirsty. And as soon as they leave dialysis, they drink all the... Water up again, and then they go through this uh, same cycle.
2: cycle. And some people, what they do, you know, it's like we did a show on how to cheat on dialysis, you know, and uh, <laughs> how to and cheat, cheat on your diet. On how do you cheat like on your diet? Drink right, drink a lot, as much as you want, right before. Uh, no,
0: dialysis. we didn't give that advice. We kind of. No, uh, I'm just. I didn't say that was your. A, that was your show. That wasn't my show. Uh, that was the one.
2: That was my advice. Drink, <laughs> drink eat as much cheese, and and drink. As uh, yeah, much that as was
0: a very one. good advice. That's why we have <laughs> doctors on the show. I don't want to hear that. I know. He only played a doctor on television, so okay. every once in a while he likes to give advice. Uh the next thing is potassium. And uh, you know, potassium is important because it, it can basically make your heart stop, right?
1: That's right. High <laughs> potassium can cause sudden death and you know, lethal injections Now that's uh, a bad side effect. Sudden death? Yes. Sudden death's a bad side effect. Yeah. And yeah. it's silent. That's what's concerning. You so know. you can be eating a lot of potassium, not know you're doing it until it's too late and it's not uncommon for some of our patients to come in with potassium levels of seven or eight, with normal being three to four, and um, it's just very dangerous. So it's it's something that you may not feel, but you just got to be aware the foods As, I'm eating can really hurt me if I'm not careful.
0: Yeah, and it's uh it, it's doable though. You can like dialyze potatoes, like we talked about, and have um. There's all kinds of apples that you can eat, <laughs> and grapes, and, so apples, and there's different things. The high potassium Green beans. Seems to be very
1: hard during the summer. Yeah. A lot of our fruits come out: our bananas, our tomatoes. We get vegetables, tomatoes, uh, and we're talking about mangoes. Mangoes are a very high. Source is that of a potassium. summer fruit?
2: You mean? Yeah. The
1: summer fruits are higher in potassium, like. Well, because I think we're eating more fruits during the summer.
2: Oh uh, yeah. Watermelons,
1: another big one. People go berserk on watermelon. Their potassium comes in high, but potassium is a really good fruit. It's low in potassium. Uh, Which banana are not bananas. Ban- bananas. Apples, apples. <laughs>
0: apples, 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 and grapes, and um, apples and I,
1: grapes are, are strawberries. good.
0: strawberries. Strawberries are, are good fruit okay. choices. And what about other summer Berries. fruits
2: like like peaches and nectarines and that you only see
1: during the summer? How are they? I think ap- uh, nectarines are kind of intermediate. Uh, yeah, I too. think they're
0: in the medium zone. Right. Ah. Yeah. Apples are to the best. As oranges are in the
1: <laughs> bad zone. Apples. And I apples I love are the apples. best. Grapes and you know the best. they
0: last a long time. And uh, frozen grapes are really good. To take the grapes and put them in the freezer, they're really good. They're (laughs) like little popsicles. (laughs) Well, the next one is, um, so how do you control your risk of having a heart attack? I mean, literally, that's the number one cause of people dying when they're on dialysis. They don't die of kidney failure. They die, die of heart failure.
1: That's correct. So we still want to be aware of those things that can cause heart attacks, such as high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and diabetes uncontrolled.
0: So you have to you have to manage all those.
1: You still have to manage those, and those are important uh, measurable outcomes to be aware of, and make sure you're you know, taking your blood pressure medications and keeping your diabetes under controlled and watching your cholesterol. Well,
2: what, uh, what is your opinion on on taking a daily supplement of fish oil?
1: Uh, fish oil is not really evidence based, and there's some kidney diseases that it's beneficial, particularly IgA nephropathy seems to have a beneficial effect. But w- we recommend uh, a little bit of fish oil, I think, is okay as protection for your heart. But, I mean, give me the millig- amount of milligrams you should have per day. I, I think uh, fish oil tablets, I think, come in grams, I think. I meant grams, I yeah. Mean, yeah, so I think it's one one to two grams a day mm-hmm. would would be okay oh. but the problem with fish oil you know is they get a lot of uh, gas with that yeah i you know so i took more- some
0: fish oil one time and i felt like i ate fish for days i mean i couldn't really I just, yeah i just maybe it was old fish oil <laughs> i don't know <laughs> but it just had that taste
2: oh i never taste. just taste i take a it. lot of fish oil you do that's a- <laughs> yeah i know yeah. You're okay I guess I well, don't know. The other doctor, my other doctor, <laughs> trying to take it.
0: He's getting kind of shiny. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> scales.
2: and I smell like a mackerel. <laughs>
0: um, and one of the most important things, because, uh, and it's the the the
2: last chapter in the book. But um, wait a second, I just want to go back one uh, thing. What
1: about the baby aspirin a day? What do you think of that? Baby aspirin is very important, and there's uh, some evidence to suggest too that it prevents clotting or thrombosis of your fistulas and your catheters. Awesome. So we recommend baby aspirin, 81 milligrams a day.
0: And the last one is infections, because uh, infections are deadly. And uh, I know one of the uh, the highest ways to get an infection is having a catheter.
1: Right. Not, not a peritoneal dialysis catheter, a but a vascular a catheter vascular by axis. dialysis, and there's there's a big push out nationally to try to reduce the number of catheters because one, they're a source for infection. They're a tube that goes in your skin and into sits your inside neck, in your chest, neck basically, and into yeah. your heart, sits at the top part of the heart. But another but problem una- we see
2: unavoidable though, because sometimes you don't know you're going into kidney failure, so you don't have time to pre-do a fistula and have it mature. Sometimes it's immediate, so you have to use a catheter.
1: Right. So sometimes it's a bridge to our fistula. Right. But uh, I think patients need to understand that it's important not to uh, continue the catheter because a lot of patients like it. Well, you, you don't want to get getting stuck. stuck with needles. You don't want to get
0: stuck. I mean, it's a logical thought process. Right. And you can definitely understand it because who wants to have, you know, 15, 16 gauge needles put in your arm? Right. It's
1: very painful.
0: When, you know, you have a catheter and, you know, it's like, well, maybe it won't happen to me, but if one little bug gets in there, um, you can get septicemia and get pretty sick.
1: Right, it's a a very serious condition when it happens. Um, We've seen people certainly die from septicemia. And another problem I'm seeing now is that the vein that the catheter goes in is getting scarred, which means that the blood from that side of the body has a hard time to get into the heart, so they'll swell on that side of the body. And if they've had catheters on both sides, they start to get swelling of their neck and their face.
0: Oh, my goodness. So
1: it's another reason why not to keep these catheters for a long period of time, and encourage your doctor to see if they can get a fistula or a graft in you and to get the catheter out of you
0: and and then always choose you know if you can get worked up for a transplant get on the list
1: exactly right that's our that's our that's, number one goal, is number goal is to get goal people transplanted
0: who? yes because infection is there any other ways that i mean you know when you're in a dialysis facility you can get other kinds of infections there so you really have to you know you have, take universal precautions and make sure the healthcare professionals around you are taking universal precautions. Well,
1: specifically during, the, yes, to hold your uh, the nurses and technicians, hold them accountable to make sure they're wearing their gloves, they're washing their hands, they're using their masks, and mm-hmm. also, too, with the flu season now, uh, to make sure you're up to date on your pneumonia shot, you get your flu shot, and now we're going to have an extra one, this uh, swine flu shot or the H1N1 shot, too, because... Uh, a flu virus in the dialysis unit can be a disaster because if one person gets it, then they can pass yeah. it on to the other. So yeah. we're encouraging everyone now this year to get their flu shots. And I think most dialysis units are going to be giving the flu shots at the dialysis As center a dialysis. this year.
0: And one of the things that somebody told me just about, you know, infection in general is just don't put your hands to your face. You know, I because, do that all the time. You know, but don't touch your nose and your eyes because you go around, you, you know, you open a door and then you touch your eyes and your mouth and... That's, so if you, it's hard not to touch your face with your hands. I think you
2: subconsciously do it.
0: I know, but you try not to, especially during right. flu season. I mean, I try it's to get weird, in that you know, behavior. You wash your
2: hands in a public bathroom, and then you take the handle and open the door. <laughs> I you know. know. It's really weird. You I hope. know. Yeah, there's three,
1: three important points about uh, uh, self-taking uh, care of yourself. One is if you have a catheter, not to get that exit site wet. Because mm-hmm. that's a desire disaster if it gets moist. Two, if you have a fish make sure you wash it, wash it really good before and after dialysis to clean the bacteria. And three, to stay away from your nose because a lot of the methicillin-resistant staphylococcal aureus, that flesh-eating it's MRSA? bacteria, MRSA, MRSA is oh, It's ar- in your nose, harbors itself in the nose. Wow. Oh, really? So, uh, if you do need to, you know, do some local facial hygiene, make sure you wash your hands afterwards and not. Scratch your fistula or, or scratch oh, your wow. catheter with it, too. Yeah, yeah I know. See? You
2: really got to be careful in the dialysis unit, because um, I caught a case of bad vibes one time there.
1: We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options.
2: We can form partnerships with our health team.
1: We can take steps towards self-improvement.
2: We can be sensitive to the
1: impact of our disease on our family.
0: We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives.
1: We can appreciate it today and look forward to tomorrow.
0: We can help and support our fellow patients.
2: We can pursue our hopes and dreams.
0: We can make a difference.